Hey folks, welcome back to the DC Threecast. My name is Brian. Me, as always, is Vince. And sitting in for our friend Zach, who is moving this week, we have He's the moving. unofficial, official fourth chair of the DC Threecast, Mr. Walter Richardson. Hi, Walt. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you, as always. Moving. Yes. Uh, Moving up in the world. You know, all that big pharma money burning a hole in his pocket. That's all right. As a fellow uh, member of an evil profession, I get it. (laughs) (laughs) I am technically part of the tech space now. That's pretty evil. Mm. It's not great. (laughs) It's not great. No. Um, But yeah. Anyway, uh, we are here to talk about the comics released on October 19th via DC Comics, starting with uh, Black Manta number two, written by Chuck Brown, illustrated by Valentine Delandro. Walt, you probably didn't read issue number one when it came out, but you've probably correct. read it since then. So be- correct. before we get into issue number two, what did you sort of think of the of the first issue? I mean, I thought it was fine. Um, and that's about what I have to say for this one, really. Uh, not, nothing uh, super... Like, I, I, I did listen before I... Before I read it, I did listen to the episode where you guys talk about one. I kind of, that was one that while you guys were talking about, it, I was somewhat tuned out because I didn't read it. Uh, How dare you? I know, I know. I have to be hanging on every word. Every single it. fucking word, yes. But I, I do see kind of like what you all were saying about the first one and kind of continues with this one is how like a sort of trend of like every here, every villain has to be like, potentially a hero as well um you you have the opening scene with this one and you know it's kind of like you know oh but black manta's a bad guy it's like well but he you know saved me and all that and i mean on the one hand like i i somewhat agree with what you all were saying then i I forget if it was all three of you were agreeing on that point or if someone it, it was one person's point of view more than the other I forget, um, but uh, I, I think that it's kind of like a necessary thing of if you want to kind of like bring superhero comics to something somewhat resembling kind of, uh, I guess, a, a sort of like adult um, mentality, adult in just terms of like, you know, a, a level of sophistication as opposed to like, you know vulgar um well now wait comics are for kids well oh my friend how little you know (laughs) (laughs) um but so it doesn't bother me too much that being said i don't think it's like terribly interesting i think the real star in both issues is delandra's art this looks so good oh it's it's i think this issue even looks better than last issue and i thought last issue looked great yeah, I, I think this looks great. Um, a, a big part of that, as well as Delandro, uh, Marissa Louise's colors uh, just work so well with kind of like the uh, heavy JPL-esque uh, shading that Delandro has going on. Uh, makes everything look very stark, uh, but in a way that isn't like too uh, uh, jarring, I suppose. Um yeah, th- this book just looks so good. Vince, for, what did you think of it? Yeah. For a Black Manta miniseries. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Vince, what did you think of the second issue? Yeah. I, well, you know, as as you may recall, I think I was the most 
positive about the first issue of this with, you know, the one or two reservations we've talked about. Um, I think this issue is actually better than the first one because I think it hits its stride from like a rhythm perspective as far as the storytelling is concerned. And I'll, I'll go into that more in a second, but um, I, I don't have too much more to say about the art other than what Walt already said. He's absolutely right. It's a gorgeous looking book. Um, he highlighted the Marissa Louise colors specifically. I want to say like, I, I, I love how uh, Louise has like, seemingly a different color scheme for each uh setting mm-hmm. and 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 kind of sticks to it so like the there's a there's a a short stint um in Themyscira specifically the underworld i forget what they call that the, the it's like doom's door or something like that mm-hmm. anyway doesn't matter um there's a a scheme for that that has I, I think some like reds and some oranges you know and then later at gentleman ghost's house as i recall there's like a sort of like purplish color scheme something like that mm-hmm. they were very strong schemes and it 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 really broke up the book in an interesting way because you know it really gave it a, a better sense of setting depending on where you were so um i really enjoyed that as far as the story's concerned like i i just think like Again, for a Black Manta solo title, Chuck Brown's doing some pretty confident um, pacing with this thing. I think like it's it's very it's not like I don't know heist movie is probably the wrong term for it. That's more kind of like what the first issue felt like with the with the team of villains trying to get the uh, the MacGuffin. the MacGuffin, whatever it was. Yeah. But, but just how this jumps from location to location and black Manta is always moving. And then it's got this parallel with devil Ray, who's like in a jail cell, but then you find out is also kind of omnipresent in the world in an interesting way. And it just, the way it transitions to that is very smooth. And I I think just all the little, it's a very confident piece of work. I think, um, and more interesting to me than it has any right being considering it's a black mana book. Like I, I, I don't really care about Aquaman too much and much less Aquaman's supporting cast. Right. Um, But bringing something like the gentleman ghost in and having a little fun with that. I I do like the, the way that devil Ray and black Manta are kind of played uh, against each other a little bit narratively when in the, history of the characters they were really the same person you know yeah. devil devil ray was just the black mana character in the cartoon because they couldn't use black mana at the time or whatever right. um i think that's a really interesting approach and the, the last thing i will say though is that devil ray has runs the risk of yet again being another character like uh killmonger in the, the black uh, panther movie where like the the moral of the story is going to be well he made some great points but shouldn't have killed those people <laughs> you know like it just I have feels- that exact note written yeah yeah they, 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 he like, is the killmonger of this comic exactly like you you look at you look at the sort of news clippings that they that they bring about uh around the introduction of his character and you think like yeah all of that stuff is like obviously extremely valid but oh they're gonna make him 
they're going to make him uh, kill people and be the killmonger. And, and you get, as Walt alluded to earlier with black mana, potentially having some good in him, you do have to kind of do that if you're going to tell a story like this, but I, I feel like, I don't know. I feel I, maybe I'm out of bounds here, but I feel like anytime you, you introduce something that audiences may find a little too radical, <laughs> you gotta, you gotta step back from it in some way, you know, and, and, it's unfortunate, I think. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, the other thing I wanted to mention that had, uh, slipped my mind was I do think it's interesting kind of like bringing in, even if it's somewhat brief, maybe just in this issue, this like, you know, Themyscira uh, angle. I, I feel like, you know, Aquaman and Wonder Woman have always kind of had a sort of unintended connection there and you see it come up every now and then i mean with the whole like atlantis and like you know the gresham uh roots of the wonder woman lore and all that um and you see it come up every now and then with like like it was like the uh flashpoint you know that was like the <laughs> whole kind of thing happening in the background and uh, there's something else that's escaping my memory but you know there i think that it's a two parts of the dc universe that go together in a way that wasn't necessarily intended, but works. Um, and so I, I, I'm always interested to see kind of uh, creators mess with that a little bit. I think that's a really good way to put it, Walt. I, I think that the those two sort of corners of the DC universe were not intended to cross over maybe as much as they do, but creators seem to find relatively natural ways to make those cross over. And this did not feel terribly forced to have the the brief interlude on Themyscira. And um, overall, I, I agree with just about everything you guys said about this. My my main concern with any of these series that seem a little bit too big for their britches, and I don't necessarily mean that in terms of like the characters not deserving something. I I, I don't want to get into that kind of territory. But I'll say something kind of similar about Shazam later is just that to me, it seems like these are being written for longer than the running time of their series. And therefore, at times, everything can feel incredibly rushed because they're trying to squeeze everything in to what is a um, a smaller package than maybe the writing suggests. Do you guys see that in this? Um. Yeah, yeah, Le- less so this and more about Shazam, but um, but but I can see what you're saying as applied to this. Yeah, I didn't feel it as much, but I, I think I'm maybe more um, anticipating that than feeling it myself right now. Mm-hmm. But in- just in terms sure. of you know looking ahead to this, th- there's a lot introduced in these first couple of issues, and I just don't know if there's going to be enough time to get all of that stuff squared away in a in a you know reasonable time frame or if this is going to bleed into a new aquaman series or whatever which i again i'd be fine with i think it's kind of silly there's not an aquaman ongoing right now but i understand that they're sort of reshuffling the cards here and putting out you know there's there's the jackson thing going on there's this going on so maybe this is all going to coalesce into a new aquaman series and if that's the case that's a different story as well but overall, I, I did like this. 
I did think that there was just, you know, again, we've mentioned this a couple times now, just uh, astounding art and colors. I like what they're doing with the, uh, with, I mean, look, we love the gentleman Jim, Jim Craddock, don't we, folks? Oh, <laughs> absolutely. You know, so, so, so ha- having him show gentleman up. Gentleman Jim was not very nice to Black Manta. <laughs> No, you know, <laughs> I, I I thought of something terrible. I'm not going to say, um, but you know, uh, did, I, I like the way that. I, again, I would never think the gentleman ghost is going to show up in a fucking Black Manta comic. So I really enjoyed that. I thought overall this this worked. I wish I cared a little more than I do about this. Uh, we do get Doctor Shin here again from uh, Jeff, most prominently featured in Jeff Johns' Green, jeez, uh, Green Lantern. Aquaman run from the new 52. Um, but overall, I, I did enjoy this. I just wish I cared like 10% more and maybe future issues issues will get me there, but I don't know. All right. That brings us to Catwoman lonely city. Number one, this is written, illustrated, colored and lettered by Cliff Chang, personal friend of Vince Ostrowski. From that one time <laughs> I, we interviewed him. I wish. Well, you told me, uh, tell the story of what you said about him. Well, I just said, you know, like at the end of the interview, I didn't say much during the interview because I never do, you know, but at the end of the interview, he thanked me by name. And, you know, most creators, they don't say your name or remember your name at the end of the at the end of the show or whatever. And and I thought that was, you know, a nice touch. Absolutely. Now, now you make me sound very sentimental and nerdy or something like that. Yes, I truly have exposed your nerdiness for the first time <laughs> in the history of your uh, 10 years of writing about comic books on the Internet. Uh-huh. Um, so why don't you start us off with this, Vince? What do you think of this issue? I loved it. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Yeah, it's so good. It's it's first of all, it's a complete Cliff Chang joint, like colors, lettering, everything. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just said that. Right. But my point, my point is that is something to be celebrated in and of itself. Of course, you know, that is, you don't see that a whole lot. And um, I think like that in itself is an artistic Marvel, but also just the, the, the way that it tells this story in such a, I, I just use this for black mana, but it's so confident in its storytelling in that, like there are moments in this where it's content to just sort of sit there and be with its characters. I'm thinking of this is jumping to the end, but it's just so stuck in my mind. The um, this version of killer croc where he's like, uh, I used to be somebody yeah. kind of guy Sitting mm-hmm. around wearing a Kangol cap and a, a Gotham Knights such jersey. a good touch. Oh, yeah. oh he, man, he is a slap happy boxer. Yeah, that, that is 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 past his prime and it's glorious. He's left like a past prime Sopranos character or something, you know? <laughs> like he's uh, and and of course Cliff Chang is the king of like fashion in comics, and that's just such a perfect fashion touch there for this character and. I mean, it informs you about the character before you even read anything he has to say, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but but my point about that scene is that 
Cliff takes a few moments there to just like sit with the characters and have them reminisce a bit. Ostensibly, this is only what three issues or, or four? Do we know? I believe it's three. Sure, I'll, and they're look o- it up. They're oversized because it's the it's the um, it's four. I'm sorry, it's four. Okay, it's the it's the um, black label thing, right? So it's you know they are oversized, but like just the patience it has to have some like sweet moments like that, even though there's like a lot of catching up to do with these characters in this, like, cause this is supposed to be like a far in the future status quo, right? Yes. Somehow, somehow uh, Chang manages to get out all the exposition in a way that, that feels a little more propulsive than you might expect. Um you know, books like this can get a little overly wordy or whatever, but it's really not here. There's a couple, there's a couple of pages where he uses like Frank Miller style uh, media interviews or, or news reports right. to get, to get across a couple, a couple key bits of information and that those get a little wordy, but really, really not bad at all. And I think like just the pacing is so confident. It knows when to slow down. It knows when it needs to speed up. It knows when it needs to move on. You know, Selena gets let out of prison. And then every time a scene is uh, in danger of overstaying its welcome, she's got to leave for some reason, you know, and it's always a, a, like a character moment that really rings true or man, just, I, I don't think there's a misstep here, really. And I'm just going to keep gushing if I keep going. So <laughs> somebody else take over. Walter, why is this so good? Well, so the thing that I find, found kind of interesting about this is, in some ways, this is really just the same thing that we had in uh, Future's End. Not the exact same, of course, but very Future's similar. End or Future State. Jesus Christ, now I'm doing it. <laughs> um the well has been poisoned. <laughs> yes. Future state. Um, very similar and, and not like terribly unique in that regard. Like it's not that it's certainly not that future state was the first to do this kind of thing. But like, you know, the sort of uh, slightly later, like, you know, a couple a decade or two after like, you know, the hero's prime um, and like, you know, somewhat uh, authoritarian You've got our enhanced uh, cops. Like the main difference in this case being that you know Bruce is dead. Um, so in some ways, it, it's very to be much fair. Like, if you just state he's presumed dead, he's presumed so. dead. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it, it's it's really in some ways like it's a testament to how great Chang is that having just read like you know less than a year ago, I think future. Future State was less than a year ago. Yes, it was, okay. it was January. January. Okay. Um, you know, having just read this, it's a testament to just how strong he is that we can read something that is like so similar, but just the the how tight it all is, how uh, thematically rich it is. It it doesn't feel old hat in the slightest. Hmm. I think that's an excellent point. The only thing I want to add to what you guys have already said is I think that this issue is incredibly restrained. Usually when you give a creator carte blanche to do what they do, 
and say, you know, you're taking care of all of this, it becomes a it can well, it can oftentimes become a situation where the person is checking off every box they ever wanted to do, but couldn't do for whatever reason. And it's so now they're creating a story where every wacky idea can come into play. And this, from a story perspective, from an art perspective, everything is really, really reined in and not overly ambitious, overly showy. And I think that all of that is to the benefit of the story that's here. You know, there, what was that? Probably my dog. Barking. Oh, oh. <laughs> I, I thought you went like, oh, like you disagree with me so vehemently. No. You had no, some, you had I to absolutely make a noise. agree. No, okay. go yeah. off, King. Uh, so no, so I mean, I, I, you know, I thought that everything about this was really interesting and really enjoyable. And while I have to admit that ninety percent of my enjoyment of this was that it was Cliff Chang doing this stuff. I think this would have ranked among the best black label books we've seen so far, even if it was illustrated by somebody else. This is just a very, uh, a very restrained, very confident, very um, small in a way story that I didn't expect from this type of book. And I'm thrilled. That's what we're getting. Yeah, I, th I think that's really well said. Um, also, like, to talk about the Black Label aspect of it. It's not a Joker Harley book. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> but, but it is a Bat-related book. It so. is a Bat-related book. Um, but, you know, there there is, like, mature language in it. And yet, like, I, I do feel like there have been times where Black Label writers have taken the opportunity to push that or force it. But I feel like, again, like, Chang picks his spots and there's, you know, maybe four or five well-placed F-bombs, right? Let's say. <laughs> what I'm saying is it's, it's, it's restrained in the way. Yeah, yeah. No, it no, almost I, feels it, like it's not there. Yeah, yeah. Or it's, or it's just, it's mature. And I don't mean mature as in content. I mean, like, it's the way a mature person writes mature dialogue, right? Like, yes. it's it's just as restrained in a good way as Brian suggested, you know, but also from a content perspective, you know, everything here is very, it's such a tasteful book too, you know? Yeah. Um, oh man, it's good. Yeah. I, I what, oh, sorry. Go. go I was ahead. just saying, it's just one of those things where I just, I truly cannot wait for the next one, you know, like, mm -hmm. and it's going to be two months, but that's fine. Yeah. Good, good, good art takes time. That's right. Um, there's two other two other things I wanted to mention before we moved on. Um, first of all, just quick things. First of all, that of all these, like you know, slightly different tanks, Emperor Penguin is just so good, <laughs> so good. <laughs> uh, it's such a good design. His his jacket is like you know, long balding hair. <laughs> um fantastic design um the other thing is that i there is no way this is the case but when i first read orpheus in this batman comic i'm like does this have anything to do with the short-lived mid-aughts uh batman character orpheus uh 
Oh my god. Do either of you know what I'm talking about? But I mean, I do remember the name, but I wouldn't be able to tell you anything about it. Exactly he, the same, yes. Yeah, he, he was like a guy who uh it was like a interesting idea, like you know, like when when like you would say vigilante in Gotham, who's like, you know, Gotham meets like a black hero, you know, kind of directly acknowledging that and all that. And then he just got fucking whacked in uh war games, like very unceremoniously. Okay, um, yeah. And like I think he was only around for like three years before it was like, oh, we gotta kill somebody in war games. <laughs> every every the beloved Batman crossover war games. Man, I, I had forgotten about war games until just this minute. I'm sorry. Whoever wrote war games that I can't remember now. Uh, I mean that was a, that was a that was a big crossover. So wasn't it like three or four writers? Yeah, I want to say that this was while uh, Bill was Willingham. Maybe, yeah, I yep. think I want to say Bill Willingham was like probably the person kind of directing it. Which okay, which he, case... he, here are the writers. Okay, uh, two of these things are not like the other. Okay. Uh, AJ Liebman, Lieberman, uh, Bill Willingham, Anderson Gabrich, Devin Grayson, Dylan Harox, and then Ed Brubaker and Greg Rucka. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw it. I'm surprised that Brubaker and Rucka, I thought that they were out by that point, but I guess I'm wrong. This was um, October 04 to January 05. Yeah. Uh, I guess that was the tail end of Gotham Central. Yes, I would guess so. I think Gotham Central might have didn't even tie into this. Gotham Central ran from 02 to 06. And Gotham Central did, oh, it did tie get into this. an issue. Yeah. Um, so it probably is the only issue they wrote for this. Yeah, probably. Yeah, that makes sense. But yeah, they were I think thrown that, into the I think by era. by that point, Rucka's detective, his first detective run definitely would have ended. Because I'm pretty sure that Brubaker's ends with Bruce Wayne fugitive, but I might be wrong there. Hmm. Anyway, that has been a detour to the Bat Books by way of Catwoman, <sighs> uh, Lonely City number one. But no, which is a Bat Book. Yes, it is. Uh, <laughs> this is fantastic. I, I think we're all very much in agreement here. I also have to say, and this is a very, very small point, I feel like this is the first time, maybe in comics history, <laughs> That there has that there's been something like this G wristband and all that where it didn't feel incredibly hokey. Like it's mentioned just enough to show you what's important, but it's not all anyone's talking about. Whenever these things happen, they're like, mm. you don't have a G bracelet. Everyone has a <laughs> yeah. G bracelet. My mom has a G bracelet. It becomes this overwrought thing. And so Chang just put just enough in there to make it interesting, and that's good. Yeah. Yeah, and it doesn't didn't require any exposition to explain in detail like, <laughs> right, what exactly. that is. You know, yeah, a G yeah. bracelet. <laughs> what did you just get out of prison or something? What are you yeah. yeah, yeah. We should also oh, mention that's a just long story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can go on for pages and pages with this shit. Yeah, uh, we we should mention that 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 Harvey Dent is actually played really interestingly here as well. Oh yeah, we completely bypassed that. Um. Yeah, yeah, I think that, I think that's an interesting angle because another thing that I'm sure has happened at 
definitely at least definitely twice maybe as much as like three or four times is like actually no factoring in the silver age and such it's probably happened dozens but like the whole idea of like you know if harvey you know reforms and is no longer two-faced he like often gets like some form of like plastic surgery or whatever mm-hmm. um to kind of cover that up uh, most recently by recently i mean uh over a decade ago but um like i'm thinking like you know face the face that james robinson uh one year later story um which ends with him burning his face back off which is pretty funny (laughs) Uh, Uh, but but so yeah i think i think that is a a more uh a a less comic booky way to address that is like you know yeah he's like you know he's fine now uh nominally um as we see there's more than meets the eye of course um but he's like yeah he's just like yeah i'm not gonna like you know change my face (laughs) (laughs) right yeah yeah it's it's so smart it's so smart because you're right walt like if if somebody were to go like uh do that to, to Harvey Dent again, it would be for this like really overwrought, uh, overwritten reason, right? It would be, it would be this like grand demonstration of theme or whatever, but Cliff keeps it like grounded and realistic in that way. Well, it's still being about this guy with two faces, you know, like, mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but it's just, it's, it's, again, it's another like, muted choice he's making when when it when it would have been tempting to maybe make the more shocking or different choice right yes i don't know i don't know if that makes any sense no i think it makes total sense i think it's very in line with what with what this book is doing everywhere yeah the one last thing i wanted to say was the moment where uh emperor penguin says something like you know you could be a hostess for me bring out that old cat suit you know the one uh he had to have been talking about jim balance uh basically <laughs> basically nude catwoman <laughs> costume right <laughs> i i was thinking of the new 52 one for, which i don't think ever zipped all the way up the entire time that she was wearing it that was always zipped like right at the cleavage line yeah that's what i thought but you know we we, we all have our different uh <laughs> problematic faves so (laughs) let's move on to green lantern number seven this is written by jeffrey thorne illustrated by tom rainey and marco santucci um let me start with this one i cannot enjoy tom rainey's art on this book i am really trying here sucks and like i don't hate tom rainey's art but his art on this book is really bad it's, yeah, that that's that's been perplexing to me too because I've I've read stuff with Rainey's art and he's not like a guy that I love or anything. But before I hadn't like really like felt like he, anything he'd done that's been like you know notably bad. But this is just ugh. This looks like a fucking Mad Magazine. It is so bad. <laughs> it's really bad, and that that completely kills the John Stewart part of the story. Now, to be fair. I think the John Stewart part of the story is by far worse written than the other part. But even if it was equally written, it would be such a pain to get through because everyone is this lumpy weirdness that I just cannot get down with. It really makes it hard to enjoy 
half of this comic every month. Um, with that out of the way, oh, uh, one, one more thing about that part. They also managed to make the new gods boring, which is something I didn't really think was possible. The new gods are almost always the most interesting part of any comic that features them, but these new gods are incredibly dull and boring. The only interesting part is that Jon Stewart basically gets his secondary mutation in this and becomes some sort of like glowing uh, Green Lantern creature. So I'm interested to see how that resolves itself. But then we get the Joe Mullen stuff. And, and this issue does not have um, the best stuff with Joe. Last issue's showdown between Joe and Sinestro was fantastic and really got me excited for this month's issue because I wanted to see sort of more of that really confident Joe that I, I that I enjoyed so much last issue. And this one is a little bit of that, but this is just this interaction is a little bit less entertaining than the last one. I will say I loved Kelly Teen Lantern. I love that her like constructs that are that come out when she's uh, not thinking, which basically out of her subconscious are her Teen Titans teammates. I thought that was a nice touch. And I like the sort of cosmic, you know, bringing Thanagarians into this. I thought all of this stuff was pretty good. This was just not. I thought last month's Joe Mullen stuff was excellent. This month's stuff is it's OK. It's pretty good. But because the first half is so unreadable to me, this issue felt kind of flat. Walt, what did you think? Yeah, this I, I'm. I've very quickly lost steam on this one. I was totally on board with like the first couple of issues. Like, like uh, well, I think you got you guys were. Or I was talking to like at least you, Brian, when it first the first one came out, and you were really excited about. It. And I, I wasn't like super on board, but I think it was the second one where I was like, "Oh yeah, this could be good." It, it's just really, really losing steam for me. I, I don't, I don't know. It's, I'm not sure exactly what it's lacking but i think that kind of in, in terms of the john stuff i mean the john stuff is has been the weakest as we've said as you've said uh for most of these issues um and i think that kind of taking at least it was only one issue so far but taking taking this kind of like Oh, going back and you know, oh, things were different than you thought with how the guardians and all that. I, the the stuff that's most interesting in this book is kind of like in the present and like the new circumstances, like post. Uh, oh, what was it? the Council of Planets? The Council of whatever the hell the the hmm. Universal Federation. Are they the United Planets? No, United. Planets. Yes, maybe. I believe so. Okay. Um. I think I think that was like kind of the more interesting stuff with this and kind of getting away from that has yeah it's just not terribly interesting to me and just overall and I mean the Teen Lantern I've I didn't read that stuff with Bendis and I haven't been like fully sold on the character um and especially after was it like two weeks ago where there was the Jessica Cru- Jessica Cruz one shot, or I guess at the time this comes out it'll be like three four weeks ago. Yeah, it was it was about a month from the dropping of this episode. And like that, I'm I'm kind of like that's what I want to see more of. That that was more interesting to me, and then kind of like going back to this and 
realizing well, it's not really being followed up on here. I've just kind of, I don't know. I'm since, since I do not host a, uh, I do not regularly host a weekly uh, DC comics podcast. I'm probably, this is probably the last issue for me. It's not the worst <laughs> thing in the world, but I'm just kind of like, me. Vince. Yeah. Um, I think I spent my reading of this issue trying to find the positive because I definitely agree with all the stuff you guys are saying. My story hasn't changed either regarding the, the Tom Rainey half versus the Marco Santucci half. Um, I think, you know, if I, if I were to, if I were to call some positive feelings out of the first half of this issue, I guess I would say I am interested in the way that the new gods are being used. Brian, I think you're right. They're not necessarily presented well in this issue, but I think, you know how we've been talking um, with the Morrison Superman and the authority stuff about the potential of fifth world actually happening and new gods being replaced with new versions of new gods. And I just think like, what, what if that's what they're doing here also? What if this is all going to dovetail? And and like, so if I had to find like a positive nook to get into with this story, I guess it's some lingering hope that like, what if Jon Stewart is a new God or like, what if he's involved in that storyline in some way? What if this gets dovetailed into the Morrison stuff that everybody is pulling from, right? If there's anything that can redeem this half of Jeffrey Thorne's Green Lantern for me, it would be something like that doesn't make the stories he wrote better. It just sure. makes me, it just makes me care at a undefined point going forward, <laughs> you know, <laughs> sure. you know what I mean? It, it gives me some hope that that something down the road will be interesting, you know? Um, I don't know if that is worth it to be invested like on that level, but, but, but that's what I'm trying to do as long as I'm making myself read this book. Um, the second half, yeah, the second half comports itself a lot better. The, um, I do like seeing where all these different land, new lantern, newer lanterns are, are shaking out, um, getting to see what Simon's up to as this like robotic green lantern that can kind of skirt the rules of whatever is currently going on with the, with the fiction behind the battery and all that stuff, you know? Um, I think the relationship, the, the like friendship or, or mentorship or whatever that's potentially forming between Simon and Kelly is, you know, that's something I, I may or may not get invested in depending on, on how far that goes. Um, I'm interested in, in Joe Mullane as a character. Um, so yeah, I, I'm not in love with that part either, but I'm more invested in it. I'm more invested in what these characters are doing. And, uh, you know, so my praise for that half is not exactly uh, effusive or anything, but, but, you know, at least there's more there that I can kind of anchor into and, and dig into, I guess. Sure. Not not loving this run though. Not 
this is I feel like Zach uh, Trinity this one for us by yes he did by taking the first issue and saying like this could be the best Green Lantern run we've ever had <laughs> blaming not to blow, not to blow his ass Sam, up Zach while he's not here yeah well, <laughs> yeah. It, well okay so here's what's gonna happen so Zach I love you Zach. Zach is the best, and then he's gonna say it's the worst, and then a year from now he's gonna reevaluate and think it's the best again because that is the full Wilkerson right there. I I should read all of uh, Green Lantern. Yeah. (laughs) If it were a Marvel book, that would be true. Yes, exactly. (laughs) There it is. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we got two more books to talk about, so stay tuned. Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at MultiversityComics.com. Each week, we take some time to check out books and shelves on Wednesday that are worth your attention. And each month, we dissect the previous catalog. We also have long-form discussions about books we've enjoyed, like Dan Clow's Ghost World and Jack Kirby and Mike Royer's Commandy. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the talks you'll find in our archives feature Mike Mignola, Leila Del Duca, Sean Martinborough, Emma Beebe, and Greg Rucka. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please subscribe. Subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow in iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. We are back with uh, a book that was supposed to come out a few weeks ago, but got delayed for reasons we do not know. And that book is Nubia and the Amazons, number one. This it comes from a plot by Stephanie Phillips and Vita Ayala, but it's scripted by Stephanie Phillips. And it is illustrated by Aletha Martinez. Um, Not Stephanie Phillips. Stephanie Williams. I'm sorry, Stephanie Williams. My apologies. Different Stephanie. My notes even say Williams. I'm just so used to saying Stephanie Phillips now in DC stuff because Phillips has done so much. Stephanie Williams, my sincere apologies. Uh, you know what? I'm going to take this whole thing again because fuck it. Why not? <laughs> and we are back with the delayed Nubia and the Amazons number one plotted by Vita Ayala and Stephanie Williams. Scripted by Stephanie Williams, illustrated by Aletha Martinez. Uh, Walt, I, I, I tend to go to you first with this stuff because I feel like you have the freshest perspective on this since you're not reading everything week in and week out. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you read any of the other Wonder Woman sort of uh, anniversary stuff we've gotten? Let's see. So I, I read the I read the 80th anniversary anniversary. And five years ago, I read the 75th anniversary. <laughs> um <laughs> I've been vaguely aware of hey, there, there's been this kind of like a push with Nubia. I'm not 100% sure where that originally came from. Was that uh that was a future state thing? Because oh, I was a future state thing. Well, okay. it's really a black death metal thing because at the end of death metal, Wonder Woman quote dies. Right, right. And, and so she becomes the queen of the mascara because Hippolyta goes to like the man's world. So that's okay. Okay. I wasn't all sure that if it, stems from there. Yeah. 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 I knew that Nubia had taken Hippolyta's place. I wasn't sure if like she had been seated as a character more uh, with um, any of like the runs directly preceding death metal or whatever. Um, hardly at all. <laughs> hardly at all. But the, I mean, that's fine. I think that this is a, um, uh, this this has so not too long ago you know i read like the paras wonder woman stuff and like like this has a kind of similar vibe to that that feels it's good i don't think the well of souls specifically was in the paras stuff um 
but but you know a similar idea of like you know women who were you know uh basically killed by men you know having their souls being uh passing on to like the amazons and such you know it's a strong idea um and you know there's a lot that you can do with that um and i think that it's always it's always good that to to show that the mascara is a place that exists even when diana isn't there you know um you you have like you there's gotham is always a thing metropolis is always a thing but a lot of times that you kind of run the risk of despite wonder woman nominally being a character on like equal footing with batman and superman um themiscara kind of only exists to for wonder woman stories um and so this this kind of ties into what we were saying about black manta earlier that it's kind of nice that with with nubia we're getting kind of like no this, this is a place that it is always there um and i think that's a it makes the dc universe feel richer um in that regard that it makes it feel like less and less of just like a place of like set pieces but more like a kind of world um i if i had to if i had to have one complaint about it it's that like i don't from this issue get a very strong feel for nubia herself um like she doesn't seem like a completely blank character by any stretch but like i don't really feel like i'm getting much of like what makes her her if that makes sense I think that's a, that's a very astute observation. This is much more about the Amazons than it is about Nubia, right? And Which sort isn't of, necessarily a bad thing. And it's it's we're kind of in some ways it's kind of like how you you need to like Nubia and the Amazons. That's going to sell better than if it was just like Tales of Themyscira or something like that. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. Um, that said. I don't think this tells us a ton about the Amazons either. I think that this is very much a um, a situation where you are learning a lot about the sort of functionality of Themyscira and how things happen there, which, like you said, well, it has value, but I don't know if that's necessarily the book that we want or the book we necessarily, uh, you know, were promised with this. If, but I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing. My big problem with this is that this is just uh, boring. This didn't do a great job to me making me care about it. I want, I want there to be a book like this, and I went into it excited about it, and yet I did not care for this very much. That To me, the, the cardinal sin in comics is being boring, and this borders on boring for me. No, I think that I think that's fair, but I'd say Vince is is probably the the Wonder Womanist, the Wonder Womaniest of us. He's definitely read the most, uh, more than me. Than me. So I'm interested to see how he how he feels about this. Uh yeah. So I I will say that I did not think it was boring until 
the bit at the very end, which was like some sort of vision of the mascara in ruins. And I think. I'll, so I'll talk about that part first and then I'll circle back. Um, I, it's suggested in this comic that there's this uh, destruction of, of the mascara coming and some sort of some sort of impending doom. Right. And then one of these Amazonian characters is seeing visions of this. And it's also suggested that it may be the either the fault of or this person is under the control of something. Uh, the person who is standing guard at, at doom's doorway. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's hinted at it's suggested, but I think the last sequence, which takes like four or five pages, I think, I, I think the art, there's very little scripting. There's very little uh, words I should say on the page. Right. And I don't think the art carries that segment well enough to convey exactly what it's trying to get across. And that's where the comic lost me because I know it's supposed to set up something that's kind of mysterious and sinister, and you're not supposed to know exactly what is going on, but I don't think it does a very good job of conveying the weight of it, or it doesn't really tether it to anything with these characters it just seems like random chaos that's coming potentially. We don't know why or when, right? Well, I'll take that a step further, which sure. is that this this is like the classic Jeff Johns thing at the end of a first issue of an arc, like coming this year in Nubia and the Amazons. But there's only five issues left. So to get to this place, you're either going to have to sell the emotional story short to get there or you're going to have to rush everything and neither sure. option's good. That's fair. Yep. That's, that's very fair. I think that's accurate. Um, so then what I will say is the, the first part of this issue, I really liked because I thought it, it was almost slice of life in a way because there wasn't co- conflict really. And there wasn't really much of a story, but it was like showing the return or the rebirth, I should say of these new Amazon characters who like Walt already alluded to were killed by men on earth and end up in on the Island of Themyscira. And I thought, you know, yeah, that's exposition, but I think it was told pretty um, in a heartfelt way. And in a comprehensive way, we got to see several different perspectives of these characters coming and getting their names. And, you know, I felt like that was done very earnestly and I appreciated it that I appreciated it on those grounds. Um, And I was into the, the thematics of that little bit of lore. Like I think that that, that fits in very well and it's a very well told aspect of this Amazonian lore that I don't know how much of that existed before this. Um, I know the, the well of souls did exist at some point. I can't remember. Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah. I just, I just didn't, think it was part of the Perez run I forget yeah and I don't I don't think it was as I recall you know I definitely know that it was part of the new 52 run because (laughs) there's the the first image of Donna Troy in the new 52 very nakedly coming out of the well of souls that was a Um, that was a Meredith Finch joint if I recall that's right it surely was yes um 
but I, I, I thought that bit was told really well for what it was, which was just, you know, a little bit of background and exposition. So I was in until it kind of went off the rails at the end. I, I didn't get boring from it, but, but I see where you're coming from, Brian. The book, the book lost me either way by the end, you know, and I, I hope the second issue kind of picks back up that, that, that earnestness and that, that feeling that the first half of this issue had. Okay. Well, so here's, here's where I'm going to, I don't want to say push back because that's not the way I want to look at it. Here's where, where I want to sort of defend my boring claim here, which is that I think that there is some interesting stuff with those new Amazons, but there's this like, there's this sense of dread or of uncertainty with their rebirth, which I think is really good. But I feel like nothing, they don't lean into that enough. I think this would have been a far more compelling story if there was a character from there who was uncomfortable with all of this because you would be uncomfortable with all of this. If you just woke up like reborn, it would be a very, very strange experience for you. And I just thought that they glossed over that and that's not, that doesn't, to me, that that isn't, it's way less interesting to have characters just going along with this, merrily rolling along with this rebirth mm-hmm. thing. I think it would be more interesting to put some conflict there. I also think that Nubia is a nothing character in this. Like Walt was saying, we don't really know a lot about her as a character from the contents of this issue. And on top of that, I know it's not a Wonder Woman story, and so I'm glad that Diana's not a part of it. But I feel like this borders on... Uh, Poochie territory where every every Themyscira story has to mention Diana X amount of times per issue and it just doesn't let this be a story of its own the, yeah I, I really wanted to like this I'm, I'm bummed out that this isn't very good in my opinion um, I'm willing to give it another shot there are five more issues of this to win me over but I have to say so far between the lackluster 80th anniversary issue the lackluster uh, new status quo in number 780, and then this lackluster series debut, I think that the Wonder Woman 80th anniversary has not been handled incredibly well. And that's such a shame because Wonder Woman is such a fantastic character that DC needs to do better things with. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of better things, we have Shazam number four. Um, I, have, I have one last thing I oh, want to for say. It. Go for it. That so, Vince, you know better having read. You know, I've I've read a fair amount of Wonder Woman, um, but I haven't read every issue of Wonder Woman. <laughs> um, but man, Penelope loves to see visions of uh, mascara <laughs> being destroyed. Uh huh. Anyway, that's it. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I just had to say that. <laughs> okay. All right. On with Shazam. No, that's great. Yeah. so shazam number four written by tim sheridan illustrated by clayton henry i'm gonna let someone else start this one because y'all know what i'm gonna do with this but um two (laughs) two introductory notes first of all that variant cover um so good oh man i (laughs) it's so good i need to i'm gonna turn into zach and buy a variant cover uh because i need that because it's so fucking good and the last thing i'm gonna say before we get before I let you guys go off on this, I just cannot believe how much this ties in with DC 1 million. <laughs> That's all. Okay. Someone go ahead. 
I mean, I can believe it, I guess, because because so much of the future state stuff did, um, and because they just they seem intent on just mining, uh, mining, mining lots of Morrison lately. Um, I'm here for it. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed this a lot. I <laughs> didn't think I would enjoy young, not Loki Black Adam, but um, I did. I did enjoy like I thought I thought there was a lot of good humor between uh, Billy and, and Black Adam. And, uh, and again, I like Teddy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Teddy. That's right. That's right. That's what they ended up calling him. Um, another young Avengers character. But uh, <laughs> um, anyway, like I, I liked the pace that this kind of bounded along at. Um I think the stuff, the stuff regarding Freddie Freeman and being in the hospital and and pride embodying Freddie to try to trick Billy into giving up his power was really compelling and and I think I think pretty well written. Um, the Clayton Henry art was playful and I think appropriate for this title. Um, yeah, I, I enjoy it. it. Didn't like blow me away. Like, uh, I guess, you know, something like the, the Catwoman book we talked about, but just really solid, more solid comic booking from Tim Sheridan and Clayton Henry. What can you say? Walt. Yeah. I mean, I did like this. Um, I, the one thing that like, I did kind of like go a bit who boy about was after I like, got to that second page i i think sheridan it seems most pronounced in this mini but there's bits of it in teen titans that sheridan for a a common fault with like you know kind of folks who are newer to comics is, and you know certainly some veterans as well as just boy there are a lot of words on that two-page spread that is very true and it's not really like organized in a very um, well way. I mean, you can partially blame that on the editing, but it's also just there's so many words and it's not broken up into panels. How much can the letter do? And and part of that is as well, like, I, again, like I'm not, I get what the letter was going for with this, but there's, if, if I'm not, maybe I misread this, but so on that page, Black Adam's, dialogue is in these like black bubbles with yellow text that that is supposed to be black adam correct i wasn't like completely missing the point mm -hmm. of that right yes mm -hmm. and so like like yes obviously that makes some sense because that's black adam's color scheme but it's also not done anywhere else and so for a second i was confused like wait is this someone else speaking like is, mm. i i don't know that that page like kind of put the brakes on it for me for a bit i was like oh boy um, but it, it picked back up, um, the whole like kind of capers through these like weird dimensions and such was fun. Um, as, as you said, the Teddy is basically, uh, kind of going for the Loki vibe, but it's not too overblown and, and Henry, Henry's artist, uh, that's really good superhero comic booking, just pitch perfect I, I could see him illustrating pretty much anything in the dc universe 
I, I think he's especially good with Captain Marvel Shazam because he can do like the big dumb superhero in a way that looks both silly and also f- still fits into the DC universe. Yes. And, and that's a tougher thing to do than you'd think. A lot yes. of people don't know how to strike that balance and he's really good at striking that balance. And the, the other thing I liked kind of similar to what we were saying about black Manta and wonder woman is that I feel like this kind of shows how Shazam fits pretty well into like Teen Titans area, not just because like, you know, Billy, I mean, I guess at this point he is a teenager, um, but also like, you know, you go back and you read like the Wolfman Paris stuff. Um, there's a lot of like, you know, this like shit, of, you know, like being in hell and um, a lot of like, there's a supernatural angle to the Titans that kind of gets left out um, sometimes uh with, with some other uh, people that approach it, but it's pretty much baked into the blood, but, you know, not just with Raven, but like, you know, you've also got like brother blood and, you know, it, it it's more of a part of Teen Titans than people would think. And so that in that regard, Shazam kind of fits well into it. Um, so I, I thought that that was kind of neat with this whole mini series and how that all ties together. Um, and I think four issues is pretty much perfect for a mini like this for something that's like kind of a side story that will pay off probably in the main series to some extent. Um, I mean, nominally the story continues in teen Titans Academy number eight. Right. Um, So, (laughs) but yeah, I thought this was like, you know, a a perfectly cromulent uh, mini series um not much to complain about it it was it did blow me away but i think that especially considering sheridan's relative newness this is it becomes more impressive in that context mm-hmm. yeah i mean th- th- there's so much about this that i th- that that is just brian nip right that is that is set up exactly right. for me and so I, I'm trying to separate that from my critical eye. And, you know, I, I don't think this is the world's best Shazam series, but I think that it's been so, first of all, this is infinitely better than the Jeff Johns penned Shazam series from a couple of years ago. And that's a guy who held off other people doing Shazam stuff for years, presumably because he wanted his mitts on the character. And so that's a real bummer that it has not. Say that? Yeah, I'll say that because that was something he said. True, true, true. He said that publicly. Um, There are other things. I'm definitely not thinking of something else. You're you're definitely not thinking of something else. Um, But, you know, so the fact that this is happening is really good. And I think that while it's incredibly sad that Sheridan is not going to be on Teen Titans Academy for all that much longer, I think that he is possibly seeding a a Marvel family book. With this, I I just think there's so much story in here that I don't see this character just existing as part of the Teen Titans Academy world, especially because of the cliffhanger with Freddie Freeman here. You know, we see the only time we really see Freddie is the fake illusion of Freddie that that Billy sees. Right. We and still we, have technically not seen Freddie himself. Right. And we don't know if Freddie's going to wind up um, you know, being saved or not. I mean, I think that 
he's going to be safe because it's comics and that just kind of what happens. But I think that the if he shares his powers, I, I think what's going to happen, and I don't necessarily love this, is I think that Mary and Freddie are going to have the powers of Shazam again, but not the rest of the Shazam family that we that John's introduced that we got in the film. And while I'm a classicist, and so I love the classic Captain Marvel Jr. Mary Marvel stuff, I do think that the John's edition of the other family members was something that was never quite capitalized on. Mm-hmm. And I would like to see somebody give that a proper run and tell a fam- tell a family story with them. And also, I think it'll be cool to have some of those characters, like, you know, put Darla in the Teen Titans, put Freddie on, yeah. you know, like, just, just split up the family and sort of ha- let those characters live and breathe a little bit. And so I think I, I hope Sheridan is the guy to do that. And I hope that we get a series spinning out of this that is a Marvel family book somehow. Um, but, you know, Clayton Henry is just so good. I I understand why for now it makes sense to not have the classic Black Adam version. But, you know, 2022, I think, I think, I think it's next year the Black Adam film comes out. I'm sure we'll see a more Dwayne Johnson looking Black Adam uh, back before we know it. But this is fun for now. And I'm just happy this character is being used. I've talked about this on the show before. But when you go back and you look at all the events that happened post-crisis, Captain Marvel's always front and center on the covers to all of those books. And he never does anything <laughs> that this is a character that DC liked to kind of show off that they had. A lot of people know we have. Him. Yes, exactly. Hey, look, look, we still have Captain Marvel, but he never did anything. And the only times he's ever really done something, it's been these very siloed off stories, whether it's the, I think, fantastic Jerry Ordway uh, powers, oh, attra- powers, the, the, the powers of Shazam series. And then we got that sort of that not so great, but not terrible Judd Winnick trials of Shazam. And then we had the Jeff Johns backup that was in Justice League that didn't really touch anything. And then he just kind of hangs out and doesn't do anything. My biggest joy in this is that this is Billy Batson, Shazam, Captain Marvel. However, we're calling him. It's him as part of the DC universe, an active part of the DC universe for the first time in a very long time. So to me, that is cause for celebration. I I want more of this. I want the original art from that variant cover. If any listeners are feeling generous um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's all I've got to say about this. Hey Vince, you know what? Uh, we're talk- we're talking books. about, we're talking about Batman's secret files, peacekeeper one, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, Please you, you didn't read that. <laughs> I think we still oh, have, no, I did not. <laughs> I, I think we still have two weeks before our, our fear state check-in. Oh, read all that fun stuff. <sighs> I hope to God Zach is done moving by then. <laughs> uh, so Vince, what comes out next week? Uh, Detective Comics 1044, Harley Quinn 8, Task Force Z number one. Oh, ooh, Walt, you want to, you want Walt, do you enjoy Task Force Z? <laughs> um, DC versus Vampires. Those are the same to me, by the way. <laughs> you, you can't convince me otherwise. One is zombies, one is vampires. Uh they're the same. I will not budge on that. Um, Aquaman, Green Arrow, Deep Target, number one. Uh, Action Comics, 1036. Batman, Reptilian, five. Checkmate, five. I always forget about Checkmate. That's still Damn, a thing. Reptilian's up to five already. Reptilian's up to five. Uh, Deathstroke, Inc., number two. Uh, Icon and Rocket, number four. Mr. Miracle, The Source of Freedom, number six. Uh, Robin, number seven. 
Superman versus Lobo number two, Teen Titans Academy number eight, Wonder Girl number six. There you go. I can't believe Wonder Girl's up to number six. I feel like that book was delayed and now all of a sudden it's back on track. Uh, I, I think could, I missed a couple issues. Yeah. I definitely did. The only thing I'm thinking is maybe this list is not up to date. Okay. Um, but you know, that's it is what it is. It is what it is for sure. Anyway, thank you, Walter, for sitting in. We always enjoy having you on the show. Where can folks find you on Twitter? You can find me on Twitter at goodbye to a shoe. You can find me on Twitter at Brian needs a nap and Zach on Twitter at Wilker Fox. If you need to find Vince, he is trying to figure out how to get his microphone to work. That's an inside joke from before the show. Uh, you, can, you can also find him on the Patreon. You, you, you didn't throw in a plug yet this episode. You got to thank you. you all. Do it. Wow. Look at wow. look at that. Well, well, we're not even paying that guy. Exactly. Well, we're we're bashful about it. You don't have to be so bashful about it. So. <laughs> that helps um but no we i i recorded a very fun interview today for the patreon so check it out over at dc3cast.com and thank you all for uh, listening who, who was the subject i'm not saying that god wow you you have it, to it could be anyone <laughs> yeah oh, yeah you wait you mean it could be dan didio uh maybe <laughs> we, 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 we gotta see it could be scott snyder oh i, I can't do a scott snyder impression um, <laughs> uh, but it's good. But it's good, right? I was gonna do it, but I didn't want to say it. Anyway, goodbye, everybody. How bad was it the year you was that 28, 2019 You were there. Was that been twenty nineteen or twenty? It was twenty nineteen. Yeah, of course, it's, it's twenty nineteen because we saw Joker parentheses twenty nineteen. <laughs>